don't think that there could be a more significant passage of Scripture for the church to hear this morning than the one that we just heard from Romans chapter 8. I'm going to just read you a few of those verses again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written... For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need those words because this year on a national level, we have suffered pandemic and lockdown and economic crisis. Our social fabric is being torn apart. We've witnessed gross injustice, violence in our streets, and just yesterday in Portland, a public burning of Bibles. We're facing uncertainty about our children's education in the coming school year and uncertainty about the future in general. Uh, It's been a 2020, y'all. It's just been a 2020. And in this year, some of us have suffered the loss of loved ones, cancer diagnoses, job loss, children's health issues, and economic hardship. It was this year, this year, 2020, was the year that our false sense of security and privilege sense of security and privilege. You know, you can tell if you have an unarticulated, privileged mindset, if you think, you may not even articulate it, but when it happens, you realize you've been thinking this way, this couldn't happen to me. I have some special status that immunizes me from hardship and suffering. So 2020 was the year that our false sense of security and privilege were challenged at the deepest level. Our health, our economy, our social stability were all mercies and gifts of God's grace that we had taken for granted. And in the midst of this, St. Paul lyrically proclaims, in the midst of the loss that we have experienced, the hardship that we are encountering, he proclaims that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Whatever else may change, this one thing stands secure. And along with that encouragement, there is a verse right here in the middle of this text that we need to have engraved, inscribed on our hearts. And I want to read it again. Verse 37, that's where we're going to just hang out this morning. No, in all these things, this is what it says, chapter 8 of Romans, verse 37, No, in all these things, what things? Oh, things like tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, and sword. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Now, you need to know that that phrase, more than conquerors, is actually a single word in the Greek. It is one word. It's hypernikeo, hypernikeo, or hypernikeo, however you want to do your Greek pronunciation. I'll say hypernikeia, and it literally means super conquerors, super conquerors. So that translation might literally read that we are more than 
we are super conquerors through him who loved us. So in the midst of COVID-19 and economic hardship and social isolation and social and political strife and violence, you and I can walk as super conquerors. So what does that look like right now? What does that mean for us this morning? Well, if we're being honest with ourselves, our first instinct is to hear that word or hear that phrase of being more than a conqueror and think that it suggests that we would overcome, we would overcome and be delivered from all the things that Paul lists. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and the sword. But you know, Paul never suggests that we would be miraculously rescued from those hardships, but that we will triumph in the, in the middle of those hardships. Paul's words here don't describe a change of circumstances. Paul rather says that we will have victory in the midst of circumstances, and we need to know that today. Because tribulations, great and small, are realities that every Christian will face, all of us will face. To deny it is pure sentimentality, and more than that, to maintain that victorious Christian living is health, is that somehow victorious Christian living, being a super conqueror, is synonymous with health, wealth, and prosperity, is an insult to past and present saints and martyrs who have endured great tribulation for the sake of Jesus Christ and yet have remained faithful. Brothers and sisters, Christians, we are not exempt from hardship. In fact, faithfulness to Jesus Christ can invite hardship. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through, 30, uh, through 40. I want to read this to you because in Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 32, the writer there presents us with what it means to live a life of faith, the faith life, trusting in God's promises, a life of faith, of confidence in the goodness of God. In other words, living like super conquerors. This is what it says. He's, he, uh, the writer of Hebrews is looking at the, at the Old Testament, and he's giving us what some people have called the hall of faith, not the hall of fame, but the hall of faith. And he says this, and what more, these are super conquerors, what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the, fire, the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, putting foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And we read that and we say, yeah, man, that's what being a super conqueror is all about. Stopping lion mouths, escaping fire, getting people raised up from the dead, sending armies to flight. That's what Christian victorious living looks like right there. But that's not where the writer of Hebrews stops. The writer of Hebrews continues, verse 35a, or, or b, excuse me, verse 35, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. 
They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So here's what you need to know, friends. Listen. Being more than a conqueror, being a super conqueror, being hyper Nikeo, can include miraculous provision and supernatural deliverance from tribulation. But super conquerors can also be tortured, suffer mocking and beatings, imprisonment, execution, and financial destitution. God alone sovereignly determines what you and I will experience as super conquerors. God sovereignly determines which path of faith we will walk. Both paths, affliction or deliverance, or a combination of both, are used by God to refine our trust in Him. They are our witness and God's glory. So American Christians, American Christians, we do not tend to believe that the path of affliction is consonant with faithfulness to God. Usually when something goes wrong, we think, what's wrong with my discipleship? Or maybe even, what's wrong with God? The saints and martyrs weep over our shallowness. But far from separating us from the love of God, our sufferings, our afflictions, our tribulations are actually part of what makes us Co-heirs, co-heirs, yes, that means like brothers and sisters with Christ, if you will. So a super conqueror cannot be separated from the love of Jesus, and suffering with Jesus, according to Scripture, validates our status as children of God and co-heirs with Christ. Again, this is back earlier in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. We didn't read this passage this morning. We read it about three weeks ago, really. It says here, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And here's, I love this, and if children, then heirs. Heirs with God. That means you inherit God's stuff. That's good news. That's amazing. That's crazy talk. You know, I'm worried about leaving anything to my kids. You don't have to worry about that with God. You are heirs of God, and it says here, fellow heirs with Christ, Provided, so there's a provisional statement, you can tell by, because the word provided is right there. Provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Suffering with Jesus validates our status as children of God and co-heirs with Christ. Being completely identified with Jesus Christ, even in His sufferings, is the ultimate goal of the Christian life. That's what Paul craved and prayed for. I'm jumping around. I'm using a lot of the Bible. We do that here at Christ Church. Uh, we, we hope that we can support our statements biblically, and if we can't, we shouldn't be talking about it. So Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. By the way, good stuff to memorize here. Philippians 3, verses 8 through 11. Paul said, Indeed, I count everything a loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It's so wonderful, I'm willing to lose everything. For His sake I have suffered suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, that faith that depends on faith. And here's what Paul says. This is his heart. I want you to be, I pray, God, that it would be your heart and my heart, that I may know Him, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and may share, listen to what Paul's about to say here, I want to know Jesus, I want to know Him, know Him on a deep, transcendent level, great intimacy, a unity with Him, I want to know Him, and the power of His resurrection. Yes, I'm all on board with that. Then Paul says, and may sh- I may know Him in the power of His resurrection, and may share fellowship in, koinonia, His sufferings. Share in His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. That by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So, b- listen... Suffering Christian, let me encourage you. Suffering Christian, your troubles and hardships are not a sign of spiritual failure. You're not a failure. No matter what, some people might look at you and think, oh, if you just had more faith, just speak a word of faith, that'll all go away. It is not a sign of failure, not a sign of faithlessness. These things are God's means of making you like Jesus, which is what God really wants to do. That is is His main project in my life and in your life. We call it sanctification. They are God's means of drawing you into the very life of Christ. They have a sacramental character if we offer them back as gifts to God. You see, Jesus lays his wounds, listen, he lays his wounds on your wounds, he lays his sufferings on your sufferings, and says, I sanctify your wounds. I make them my wounds. I make you like me through these. Now you are even more united to me, and nothing in heaven and earth can separate you from my love. Here is God's purpose for our affliction. God uses affliction to unite us with Christ. We conquer through offering our suffering as Christians to Jesus. When we offer afflictions to Jesus as our gift of love, we are made like Him and more deeply connected to His love. First Peter, how can I maintain this? Again, if it's not in the Bible, we can't talk about it. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening to you, which is exactly what we always do. Whoa, what's happening? I'm in a fiery trial. Something strange is happening to me. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. And here's why we rejoice. Listen, this is amazing. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. 
that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That makes you a super conqueror. Rejoicing in affliction is exactly what the apostles did when they suffered for the name of Jesus. If you were to turn to Acts chapter 5, I'm going to read these verses to you. But the, the scene is this. Uh, they've been, they were you know, told, don't you ever say another thing in the world about Jesus. Don't even think the name. Now you go away and be good little boys and girls. Well, the very first thing they did was went right back to the temple courts and started proclaiming Jesus. Just like, what, what, that was the government that told us we couldn't do this. Yeah, yeah, we know that. And then they brought, the, so then the Sanhedrin, the council, the ruling council, brings them back in. And this is verse 27, Acts chapter 5. And when they had brought the apostles, they had brought the apostles, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged, we strictly, strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And so the the, the, uh, the Sanhedrin has a big discussion. The apostles go out, and then they bring him back in, bring the apostles back in. And when they had called the, in the apostles, they beat them. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council really sad, dejected, and depressed. No, it says they left the presence of the council rejoicing, here it is, that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. To be counted worthy, rejoicing. Oh God, I thank you that I, you saw me as worthy to share in the suffering of Christ because of his name. They were rejoicing. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ, that Christ is Jesus. Lord, they said, I offer this beating I am receiving right now to you as a gift. Thank you for letting me share in your suffering. You also suffered unjustly and were beaten by wicked men. I am united to you through this. And that is being made more than a conqueror. Now, I want to share you a glorious mystery. A glorious mystery. I want to share with you a mystery. When you offer, when I offer, when we offer our sufferings to Christ, listen, when we open them up for God to come into, they become a powerful, that suffering becomes a powerful prayer. If we will open our suffering up instead of turning in on ourselves, but we turn that suffering outward to God and offer it to Him for Him to enter into it, it becomes a powerful prayer. On the cross, Jesus reclaimed suffering from the enemy and made suffering something life-giving on the cross. How do I know that? Colossians 2, verse 15. And having disarmed, took it away, disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He's disarmed the enemy of his power to use suffering to degrade and humiliate and to stamp us out. And he's turned it into a means of prayer. Listen, when we open our suffering to be filled with... Oh, please, 
when we open our sufferings to be filled like a vessel with the wounds of Christ, a receptacle for the wounds of Christ, God's redeeming and transforming power begin to flow out of that, that cup of suffering. As we move into a time when authentic, orthodox, apostolic Christianity is being seen as dangerous and even evil in our culture, that truth is going to become especially important in our lives. I don't know if you were aware or not, but the civil rights movement of the 1960s was not spawned by the ideals of the secular enlightenment. Instead, it was born from the word of God in the black church in this country. That movement in its inception embraced all of this. That if we offer it to him, God unites our suffering to the passion of Jesus Christ so that by, by that means, that prayer of offering ourselves in suffering to Jesus, his power of redemption and transformation can wash over the world again. And in his sermon, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, in his sermon, Loving Your Enemies, he specifically articulated this. Listen to these words. These are great words. What a great sermon. To our most bitter opponents, we say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our, our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. Throw us in jail and we will still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead and we shall still love you. But be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves, we shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process. And our victory will be a double victory. That's what it means to be a super conqueror. And the church needs to take that to heart again in this hour. Beloved, COVID-19 cannot separate you from God's love. Your employer cannot separate you from God's love. The government cannot separate you from God's love. Satan and all his demons cannot separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And with St. Paul, we can say, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. They are not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And that's why the martyrs can go to their deaths singing praises to God because they know they're more than conquerors. Just five years ago, February of 2015, 21 Coptic Christian men were lined up on the beach in Libya. You remember this? each with an Islamist killer dressed in black standing behind him. And at a word, they all simultaneously had their heads sawn off with large knives. In the days and weeks leading up to their deaths, their ISIS captors tortured them and attempted to persuade them to deny 
Jesus in return for letting them live. But they all refused to deny Christ. Even one of those men was, men was a just that moment convert. He had been taken captive with the other Coptic Christians who were workers, and he happened to be Muslim. But seeing what they had endured and how they were loyal, he said, I want to follow Yeshua. I want to follow that man. I will accept and follow him. And he did, all the way to a beach in Libya. They all refused to deny Christ. And they all died on that beach singing songs to Jesus. Singing songs to Jesus. Singing as they were about to be executed. My Bible says these, men's are, these men are winners. They're more than conquerors of whom the world is not worthy. More than conquerors. Through Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. No matter what happens, brothers and sisters, by offering up afflictions to Christ, whether we are given the, the miraculous path of deliverance and provision, or we are given the path of affliction, in all these things, we offer them up as gifts to Jesus Christ. My blessings and my tribulations, Lord, are yours. Fill them with your presence. Unite me to you through them, and I'll be more than a conqueror. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.